Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. My first ever paper pop to start the show. Uh, allow me to share some touching lyrics with you to start this evening. Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies, tell me lies, tell me, tell me lies. Those are pretty complex lyrics from Fleetwood Mac's Little Lies, and it also describes exactly what a lot of our comrades out there are doing to college football. We're here to get to the bottom of it. I'm Josh Pate. This is Late Kick Live. We're jam-packed. It is Thursday, June 22nd, 2023, high atop a very anxious downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Why? Cause it's playoff softball time up here. More on that later. They lie about our sport. Do you know that? Not about it holistically, but they lie about parts of our sport. They tell lies about our sport. Who are they? Not important. What are they lying about? That's what's important, and I'm going to get to it. I've got so many lies that I actually had to have Jesse take the extraordinary measure of printing them off. You hear that? Those are lies. That's not a paper pop. Those are lies popping in your face. Don't worry, though. We're going to parse out what's what tonight. Also, we got What Ifs, a, a wildly successful new segment on the show. We've got bold predictions. I got some Ohio State stuff tonight. I've also got a hose pipe of hatred, and you know how rarely I put that combination of words together, from you towards Lincoln Riley. I, innocent as I always am, threw it out earlier today. What is your opinion? We've done a couple of coaches, and now I did Lincoln Riley today. What is your opinion of Lincoln Riley. Some of you said some hurtful things. How do I feel about Lincoln Riley? I'll talk to you about it tonight. Also, recruiting's on fire. I mean, we didn't talk about it last show, and uh, that's mainly on producer Jesse, so we're going to put it back on the show tonight. Recruiting's on fire from the most unlikely of sources. Anyone paid attention to, I don't know, Starkville, Mississippi, Palo Alto, California, Lubbock, Texas, not to mention Tuscaloosa, Athens, Austin, and everywhere in between. Yeah, it's happening. It's happening right now, and we're locked in. I appreciate you being with us here live, or if you're listening to the replay, perhaps as late as Friday evening, Friday night, we'll take you however we can get you. Topeka, Kansas tuned in. 
Smyrna, Tennessee is watching. Chesterfield, Michigan, Satellite Beach, Florida. I'm looking at the channel, and every time I ask you to do this, we get a big spike. So I'm going to ask you once more, at least, subscribe to the channel. Because by the time they kick that thing off, and I'm not talking about week one, by the time Hawaii rolls in here to play the fighting Barton Simmons of Vanderbilt in week zero, I want this channel to be at 200,000 subs. Should I add some incentive? I probably should. For now, I'm just going to ask you, because 58% of our traffic is from unsubbed viewers, even though it's free and there's no string attached. And that's the only thing I need you to do to help us out. So subscribe to the channel. Okay, that's enough begging. Let's dive into the show. I have got something that I don't think we've ever led the show with. I don't think we've ever done this segment, actually. But that's what God made June for, as Meemaw would say. They tell some lies about college football, some big lies. Some are bigger than others, immunity. But I want to go down an entire list that I asked you to help me with last week, whenever June 19th was. It wasn't that long ago, actually. That was Monday, yeah. So I asked you guys, hey, what are, what are some of the biggest lies that you think they tell about college football? Now, I gave you a few and I've told you a few on this show for a long time. For example, I think the biggest lie in college football is you are what your record says you are. Because we simply know that's not true. In pro sports, it is true. In college football, I could be 10-2. and two, You could be 12-0. and 0. That doesn't tell the whole story. You may have played just a list of tomato cans. I may have played eight of the top 25 teams in the country. My 10-2 and two could be remarkably better than your 12-0. and 0. So you aren't always what your record says you are. But I've, I've hashed that out with you nine ways from Sunday. A win is a win. Technically is true, but in the grander scheme of things, that's also a lie. A win is a win, a loss is a loss. If I lose by one point to Georgia and you win by one point against Toledo, these are not the same things. I accomplished more than you did. And in the eyes of any rational committee member at the end of a year, when we're trying to seed a playoff system, I think they would see it as such. But sometimes you get the old bumper sticker fortune cookie mentality of, nope, if it doesn't fit perfectly in a soundbite or on a screenshot, it doesn't make sense. People think that way in politics. They think that way in college football. They think that way in life. And most of the time, most of the time, it's not true. So those are two of the big lies we talk about all the time. Now, I had one that some of you pushed back on. So I want to start with this one. Do you believe the following statement is true? If you have two quarterbacks, you got none. Because I think it's garbage, selectively. I think it's garbage. Uh, but some of you actually believed that, mainly because your grandpa told you that. Uh, no knock on grandpa. We're more of a Meemaw show. Respect grandpa. But, you know, we, we grew up with Meemaw, around here at least, at Pate State. Uh, Meemaw never told me that. You know, Meemaw told me, hey, go recruit as many five-star quarterbacks as you can, stack them on top of each other, and then let them battle it out. That's what Nick Saban's done. That's what Ryan Day has done. That's what Steve Sarkeesian is starting to do. That's what Kirby Smart may be starting to do. Heads up there. Um, does, that, does that mean that there is a maximum of one good quarterback in the room? It must be, because if I got two of them fighting it out, apparently I have none. That doesn't make sense. There is no logic that's applied there. Uh, we just watched teams at Ohio State that had back-to-back-to-back eventual first-round draft picks at quarterback. Now, was there always a battle in the preseason? No, there wasn't. Uh, But if there was, let's just say there was. Let's say that number two was a year ahead of developmental schedule. Would that mean that all of a sudden they had none? Of course it wouldn't. They had Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa at Alabama. Did they have two or did they have none? They had Tua and Mac Jones. They had Mac Jones and Bryce Young. Did they have two or did they have none? You see where I'm going with that. now. 
Now, also, ironically enough, speaking of Alabama, this could be one of the first years where someone says, if you got three quarterbacks, you got none. I understand where the saying comes from. Maybe we'll apply this to Ohio State this year. Kyle McCord, Devin Brown. Maybe that'll be the, the fall version of, well, if they had two quarterbacks, they ended up having none. I know what it means. And I know sometimes if there is a late fall quarterback battle, it just means no one's separated, which is a bad indicator for how the season's going to go. We've seen that play out. I'm just saying it's not 100% broad brush true. Okay, now here are some of the submissions you gave me. I'm going to go through these quick because we got a whole lot of them. I cannot possibly get to all these. Biggest lies in college football. Playing more conference games matters. This is a hot button issue. It is a lie. It is absolutely a lie, but it's a hot button issue. Now, this is not speaking to my preference. Would I prefer a program in the SEC to play nine conference games? I guess in a perfect world, I would. We've talked about that as long as on the back end, the committee properly interpreted strength of schedule. But that's really not the crux of that particular lie. The crux of that lie is I got some folks who are playing nine conference games screaming at a conference that plays eight conference games, acting as though they are inferior because they play eight conference games. And, you know, anyone, again, of of logical sound mind should look at that and say, well, regardless of whether you play eight or nine, what's your strength of schedule? And then people just put their fingers in their ears and they scream, la, 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 I can't hear you. Um, I don't know why, because that's actually what's supposed to matter. The amount of conference games you play was this metric that was sort of conjured up lately. I've heard it more lately uh, to maybe, maybe come at strength of schedule from a different angle. Of course, you can't come at it from the pure strength of schedule metric angle because the SEC is going to dominate you pretty much every time. So instead, you can just make things up. And you can come at it from the angle of, oh, how, many, how many conference games do you play? Eight? And sometimes you got an FCS team on that schedule? Trash. Not quite trash. Not quite trash after all. So I do think that that is, that is an accurately listed lie here. What about stars don't matter? I hear it all the time. I know some of you have trafficked in this. This is not, by the way, a segment that is meant to label you a liar. A liar is habitual in nature. You may have told one of these lies before. You may even believe one of these lies to be truth. Doesn't make you a bad person. It just may put you on the wrong side of one little part of the argument here. Stars don't matter. I, we, all, we all know where this goes. We all know that no one really changes their mind on this. It's kind of like a debate where both sides just become further entrenched. But the evidence here is overwhelming and indisputable. Every signing day, I present you the metrics of going back to the star rankings, and then you fast forward to the NFL draft, and the NFL draft bears out how much more likely you were to be drafted if you were a former five-star, and then a four-star, and then a three-star. It's very obvious. It's very obvious when we turn on a playoff game, we turn on a conference championship game. It's very obvious, by and large, whoever has recruited at a higher level is the team there. Are there exceptions? Certainly there are. But for stars to not matter, for stars to truly not matter, notice the piece of paper doesn't say stars aren't the end-all be-all. That's never the phrase. If you wanted to come at me with that, I'd say, okay, there's some truth to that. No, they, they skip all the way to the bottom of the barrel And they say stars don't matter. Well, stars do matter because stars are equal to talent. It's the best talent rating system known to high school football, should I say. And talent matters. Find me a coach who says it doesn't. I'll find you one that's going to be in the unemployment line before too much longer. What about nobody cares about bowl games? 
This is a lie. This is one of college football's lies. Jesse, who was it you told me put out this stat about the Minnesota-Syracuse Bowl? Was it Mandel? So Stuart Mandel of The Athletic, we think, uh, he's going to get credit for it whether he did it or not, I tweeted out recently, the Minnesota versus Syracuse Bowl game, whichever bowl they were in, it got better ratings than a Stanley Cup final game. Go Panthers. Minor setback for a major comeback. But um, people do care about bowl games. This has always been a lie. Even in the opt-out playoff era, this is a lie. The meaningless bowl game era. There's a, there's a pesky, inconvenient truth out there for the bowls don't matter crowd. You're still watching them. I know those numbers aren't lying to me. You're still watching them. Bowls don't matter. crap. No, bowls may matter less to someone out there, but bowls don't matter or nobody cares about bowl games. Never has been true. Isn't true today. Never will be true. National championship games have to be played on a Monday. Huge lie. Monumental lie. This is one that pretty much everyone rallies around, by the way. I don't know where we're going in the future with this, uh, but it, it, have I ever said this word before? No, it galls me to no end when we have to roll into a venue on a Monday night or when you, you know, the, the college football public have your entire weekend, then you go to work on a Monday and then you got the title game that night and then they expect you to just show up the next day, even though we know good and well that thing went after midnight on the East Coast. What sense does this make? Well, in your world, in my world, none. But we wear white t-shirts every day. It's not our world that this makes sense in. It makes sense in the world that doesn't want to compete against the NFL because they want to maximize viewership, which obviously maximizes the ad dollar that you can make putting it up against the game. And uh, this makes sense, of course. I'm not ignorant. I'm not stupid to all this. Neither are you. It's just that you and I don't really care. We don't view college football as hurting for money because it's not. And we view college football as a Saturday game. And therefore, we would love our championship to be decided on a Saturday, the day of the week in which our sport is synonymous with. Instead, someone in a suit worth more than our entire wardrobe came along and said, nope, we know better than you. This has got to be on a Monday night for reasons that you wouldn't understand if we told you. I think we understand it. We just don't like it. Next big lie in college football kind of goes hand in hand with the last one. College football can't be successful without trying to get as close to the NFL as possible. It's where a lot of this stems from. It's also where a lot of the changes in the sport are coming from. It is in an effort to push the sport more in line with the NFL. There's also this school of thought out there. You've heard it before. Maybe you've trafficked in it. I try and avoid this, but you've heard before there be an argument at a college football table And all of a sudden, someone from way in the back walks up and says, well, it works in the NFL. So do trades. Would you you like trades in college football? Well, an expanded playoff works in the NFL. Well, Well, they take one bid from every division in the NFL. Cool. Because it works in the NFL. Because the NFL is built on a totally equitable platform in a league that is built solely to play football. These are colleges. Some have been around 100 years more than the other. Some football programs have existed 100 years more than the other. Some of them have 500% the academic and athletic and financial resource that the other does. So there's not a whole lot of equitable foundation college football is built on. And therefore, maybe what applies to the NFL doesn't always apply 
to college football. Doesn't matter. See what I said 10 minutes ago. It's got to fit on a bumper sticker or it's got to fit on that piece of paper inside a fortune cookie. And if you can't fit it on that, it's not a valid argument. Well, it works for the NFL. Well, they do it in the NFL. I don't really care, nor have I ever. College football was just fine before that mentality came along to me. Recruiting doesn't matter in June. Huge lie. They're telling it to you right now. Selectively, they're telling it to you. Of course, a Florida fan is all in on recruiting in June. Why? Because they've been red hot. But I've watched some of the reaction to Florida being red hot. I've been on the end, the wrong end of some of that reaction because I've properly given Florida their credit for being top five in the 24-7 sports team recruiting rankings right now. And some people have come at me, as I told you they would, and they've said, doesn't matter. Recruiting doesn't matter. Not only do star rankings not matter, but commitments don't matter in June. Now, of course, this is a lie. Total lie. Total fabrication. I've put the challenge out that anyone that wants to bet me on that class falling apart, or any class falling apart unless a coach gets fired, be my guest. Shockingly, no one has stepped up as of 7.15 Central Time, Thursday evening. Not a single person. As of this morning, this was the number one college football pot on the planet. Not a single person in that entire audience has stepped up to challenge me. Why? Because you know, if you're the one saying it, that it's a lie. Those commitments mean a lot. Doesn't mean they're ironclad, nor have I ever said they are. There will be decommitments. Certainly there will. And nothing is official until pen is on paper. I know all that. But you didn't say that. You said commitments don't mean anything. And you're very dismissive of them when they happen in June, which first off indicates you're not following the modern direction of college football. This is the hot recruiting season now. June and July is where it's at. June and July is what January used to be because of the changes in the recruiting calendar. Ask coaching staffs how they're structuring their summer vacations, the ones that can actually take them. They're not taking them at the same times they used to. You know why? The calendar's not the same as it used to be. These commitments mean a whole lot. Whole lot. You got early enrollees. You didn't used to have that, at least in the bulk that we have it now. And so they mean a lot. 85 to 90% of these commitments generically across the board are going to stick. They mean a lot. (laughs) We had one person who submitted this as a lie. And I don't really know what it means, but I'm going to read it for you. Quote, Recruiting services are a lie. It's getting pretty greasy behind the scenes. Do we think he's talking about Wilt Fong? Cooper? He does use a lot of product in that hair. Couldn't be me. Ivan's? Greasy? No. Um, this, was, this was hurtful. This was slanderous. I've got to stand up for our folks. A- and the folks down the road at the other shops, I've got to stand up for them. Pretty good people. I know all of them. You know, I would, trust me, I would love to traffic in some good old-fashioned gossip about these people if I could, but I can't. I kid you not. Last year, I went to breakfast with Wilt Fong and someone else, and um, I had to get up and leave. This is a true story. I got up from that table, because all they were doing was talking about a three-star safety from Noonan, Georgia. And I got up. I said, I got to tap out. I went and negotiated my contract outside the restaurant. We were in Manhattan Beach, California. Beautiful morning. I just went and said, I got some free time. I'm going to finalize my contract. 
And uh, I came back to the table. They were still talking about the same thing. It's just, it's exactly as you would expect it to be. Unless, of course, you expect it to be pretty greasy behind the scenes. It's not greasy. It's not greasy. I don't know what it used to be like, but as long as I've been here, it's not greasy. Uh, here's a big lie. Neutral site games are good for college football. Never have been, never will be. They're good for the host city. They are. Orlando, Florida will benefit from Florida State versus LSU being there on a Sunday night to start the season. We won't necessarily. We'll benefit from seeing the teams play. But um, you save that for late December or January. Of course, the exceptions here are, you know, like the Cotton Bowl, OU Texas, always exempt from any neutral site criticism that you hear from me. Anyone can coach a team of five stars. Do you believe this? Because it is a lie. Do you believe that talent is the end-all be-all? Once you have talent in the door, anyone could coach that talent to a win. Anyone could do what Kirby Smart's doing. Anyone could do what Nick Saban's doing. Well, let me remind you of a couple of things. First off, you're high, if you think that. Secondly, one of the reasons you're high is because part of their job is acquiring the talent. Like, that's like saying well, anyone could race this car you just built. Did you miss the part where I built it? That's the first, even if that argument was valid, it's invalidated by the first part. But then the second part is, um, have you ever stopped to consider the new mountain of problems you have when you have five-star talent? You ever been around a bunch of elite people doing anything, sweeping a floor, much less playing college football? If you've ever been around them, this can happen on your coaching staff too. If you've never been around it, I am around it sometimes and especially get to talk to people who are around it. Here's what happens. You get a new can of worms opened that you never knew existed. It's kind of like when you win championships and everyone thinks you're just going to be on cloud nine and autopilot your way through the next decade and a half. And then all of a sudden you find out, wait, success brings about its own set of problems. We call them the consequences of success on this show. Well, acquiring a ton of talent and expecting all of those kids to operate like robots never works. Now, you got to acquire the talent. It's, it's the great necessary evil sometimes in college football. You know what's going to happen sometimes if you stack too much of it, but yet you're so paranoid about injury, about transfer portal defection, and about someone else getting them, that you stack as many of them as you can. Then sometimes you get them in the locker room, and human nature happens. And all of a sudden you realize... I, it turns out that it is a little more difficult to coach this locker room full of five stars than I thought. It turns out we got problems here that maybe they're not dealing with at Minnesota because of our talent level. No one's going to feel sorry for you, of course. No one feels sorry for the Nick Sabans of the world or the Kirby Smarts of the world or the Dabos of the world if they deal with that stuff. Doesn't mean they don't deal with it, though. So no, no, you couldn't coach a team of five stars to a title just because you got a team full of five stars. How about this one? If you aren't competing for a national championship, your games aren't relevant. This would kind of fall into the phrase meaningless November game, which we've heard more and more like a stain on college football. It's mixed its way into the common phraseology of the college football public. Your games mean a lot. If you're playing a football game on a Saturday, it means a lot. It means you're competing. It's a word that is important to some people, mainly competitors. I tell, I, I, sometimes I, I like to talk to the college audience because we've got a really big college audience. And a lot of times 
I know you guys have grown up in the playoff era. Largely, you can probably remember back before the playoff, but you're, you've come of age, like your childhood, you'll look back on as overlapping with the initial playoff era, the 14 playoff era. And so you, you will also have come up in a world where phrases like meaningless bowl game, phrases like meaningless November game, concepts like opting out of bowl games really materialized. And I'm sorry. Actually, I take no... I take no blame. It's not my fault. I just want the credit. I don't want the blame. But you, you are familiar with that. What you guys aren't so familiar with is there was this time in like 2003, 2007, as recently as 2009 or 10, where if North Carolina were randomly playing Wake Forest second week in November, and they're both five and five, the game meant everything. It didn't have a worldwide television audience necessarily, but if you were to be around the programs the week of the game, if you were to be around the fan bases the week of the game, it just meant everything. And it wasn't even necessarily tied to this greater overarching postseason vision. If you were to ask those folks, why is your face painted? Why is your chest painted? Why didn't you sleep last night? Why have you been up since 4 a.m.? Why are you already a little inebriated as you're walking into the stadium for a noon kickoff? They'd tell you, well, they'd look at you as, as if you were insane, and they would say, what do you mean, why? We're North Carolina. We're playing Wake Forest today. Like, what other reason do you need? It used to just be that simple. Didn't matter if you were in the playoff race. It would be great to be in it. But a lot of fan bases were logically very realistic about their place in the sport. And so, you know, to like a Wake Forest that given year, them challenging to go to a bowl game or to get to seven or eight wins. That was tantamount to LSU competing for a national championship. Why? Because relative to the program's stature, one achievement would have been equal to the other achievement. Then we got in the playoff era and somebody came in and said, no, it's all about the playoff. And if you're not in the playoff race, then your games are meaningless. So, you know, that Wake Forest, North Carolina, five and five versus five and five game, meaningless. Yeah, that was great. That was wonderfully healthy for the sport. It was garbage is what it was. I never participated, but some people did. I don't think many people on this show actually participated. Those are some of the big lies in college football. I mean, there was another one on here. I can't even finish this list. The 2020 season didn't count. This has become popularized lately. It's used used when advantageous. I've noticed if anyone wants to discount someone's recent successes and they were successful in 2020, they just say, well, yeah, that was the COVID year. Or if you were bad in 2020, yeah, but that was the COVID year. I've been guilty of this. But I've never said it didn't count. But I have, when advantageous, to a point I'm trying to make, I've dismissed 2020 a little bit. It was a weird year, but it counted. It counted because, at least from the surface viewpoint, everyone was dealing with the same thing. As I've said, COVID disproportionately affected one locker room to the other a whole lot more than any other given year's external factors would. But the 2020 season does count. They're not taking those records away. They're not taking those trophies away. So those are some of the big lies that we came up with. I think the comment section will be very, very entertaining uh, when I look at it at the end of this video. Fun times, though. You got to call those liars out when you see them. Remember, someone saying a lie doesn't automatically equal them being a liar, unless they just rattle off everyone on that list, in which case, put the X on their forearm. They're a liar. We got to get them out of here. All right, let's move along. Long segment, Jesse. Ooh, long segment. It's okay, though. 
We have no, we have no hard out on this show. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. But we do have a chalice of supremacy with an unnamed red liquid in it. College football's what-ifs. It's an endless list. It's like, a, it's like a scroll that I could just unroll and it goes all the way down Broadway here in Nashville of things that could happen this year and what would, what would stem from those things happening. And we've got four of them that I just want you to entertain tonight to varying degrees of likelihood, but let's just, let's just have fun for a second. We've got a hierarchy in every conference. The SEC is no different. Georgia's got the highest win total down there. Uh, you got Bama is up there. Uh, LSU's got nine and a half. Tennessee, nine. Over-under win totals is what I'm talking about. But Chad came up in the Twitter mentions today and said, what if Bama, Georgia, LSU, and Tennessee are all 10-2 and two in the regular season? Does the SEC champ still make the playoffs? So what if we have the car wreck scenario? What if we just have the total cannibalism scenario down in the SEC? Is it, is it likely? No. But think about the what-if factor here. If everyone was no better than 10 and 2, you would have, well, you would have a test of history because we've never had a college football playoff without at least one SEC team. But we've also never had a two-loss team in the college football playoff, so something would have to give there. Now, I imagine if this were to go down, it would be really chaotic. It would be like 2007 levels of chaotic come Selection Sunday. You don't believe it's possible. Really, I don't truly believe it's possible either. I guess technically it's possible, but, but this is fantasy land. This is pure hypothetical land over here. So, you know, put, on, put your unicorn horn in your forehead and just, just guess along it to what that world would feel like. Conference championship Saturday. Everyone's already got two losses in the SEC. 
their highest ranked team is like number five. How wild would that be? You're used to the second or sometimes the third SEC team being ranked in the top 10. What if just one of them is struggling to be up there? And then think about the strength of schedule argument that would stem. Nick Saban was just talking about this. We've talked about it a lot on the show. It would, it would be a lot of what is 10 and 2 in the SEC equal to in the Pac-12 or in the ACC. It would be ugly. The knives would be out. Here's another good one. What if Cade Klubnick underperforms for Clemson? That's from Andrew. What if Cade Klubnick is more the Tennessee version of himself and not the UNC version of himself? Those are just games that he started last year. Well, I'll tell you what would happen. Potentially some early ACC chaos would happen. There's a lot of attention on that FSU-LSU game to start the year. There's... It's, it's not the most loaded week one schedule, but there's a tension on Florida-Utah. And that's a Thursday night game, I think. There's not a lot of attention on the Monday night game, which is Clemson at Duke. Those of you out there who don't regularly pay attention to point spreads, but you know how good Clemson usually is, you know how good you think Duke is. Factor in home field advantage. What do, you think the spread, what do you think the spread on that game is? Clemson at Duke to start the season. Three touchdowns, four touchdowns. Clemson's favored by 12. Very losable game. And if Kay Klubnick does not perform up to expectation, they can lose. To put a finer point on it, they can lose outright to Duke in week one. That's the what if. That's the big kind of needle embedded within that what if it's not that they could get caught against FSU no if he's not if K Klubnick at quarterback and Garrett Riley the new OC there if they just don't click if it's like Josh Gaddis and Tyler Van Dyke at Miami last year they can get beat by Duke and that's number one because Duke is a good football team and number two if that were to be the case Duke could have the edge at quarterback with Riley Leonard some would argue they do anyway I don't know that I would go that far because I know the upside of Cade Klubnick, but yeah, Duke, Duke is not to be trifled with in week one. Don't go in there and trifle. I tell Bradley that all the time. I'm going to tell Clemson that. Don't go in there and trifle. Next up, this one's kind of nebulous, but Dylan hit us and said, what if we have the greatest season ever only to watch it and then just blow the whole thing up? I was disgusted the other day when I saw someone who shan't be named pop in someone else's mentions on that platform, and they were asking possibly the most ridiculous question in the history of humanity. Think about that. Uh, The question was, do you just feel like looking over 2023? Is it a lame duck year? You know, because we've got the new playoff format in 2024. That is a full-on go sit by the garbage and think about things for a little while standpoint to come at anyone from. That is horrific. It's one of the worst takes imaginable. Um, No is the answer. No. It's not a lame duck anything. In fact, 2024 could be lamer than 2023, depending on your perspective. But regardless of your perspective, 2023 uh, is, is going to be every bit as good as any other year. But Dylan's saying, what if it's a great year? So it, what, if it, what if it has all kind of twists and turns? What if it has a lot of late season drama? You got your usual upsets baked into the cake. <sighs> I imagine myself in November 
I'm not in a hurry to get there, but I imagine myself in November and I imagine seeing a lot of the following phrases. Take a, take a given scenario, take a given game, someone wins, someone loses. There'll be a lot of, well, if this were 2024, fill in the blank. So there's going to be a lot of the same thing you saw last year when they announced they were going to expand the playoff. The first thing every media company out there, including ours did, was release a graphic what this year's field would have looked like if the expanded playoff were already here. Well, you'll have the same logic thrown at you week after week. Not on this show necessarily, but week after week, you're going to be told, all right, Texas just lost to Alabama. Alabama just lost to Texas. Uh, Ohio State beat Wisconsin or lost to Wisconsin. Here's what it would mean next year, but here's what it means this year instead. Don't care because next year doesn't matter until next year. But what if we do have a great season? I don't think it's going to make anyone feel any different. And it doesn't matter if you feel different because the sport's headed where it's headed, regardless of whether you and I like it or not. But I also, I told you, I think about myself this November. Imagine yourself in November of 2040. And at that point, you're talking to a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old and you're telling them about what college football used to be like. And there's some some three-loss team squeaking by in week 11. And they're saying, oh, it's okay, dad. They're still in the playoff. They they got 20 teams, 24 teams in this thing. They're still in the playoff. And you look, at, you look at little Johnny and you say, little Johnny, you know, once upon a Saturday, it wasn't like that. Once upon a Saturday, you couldn't afford to lose games. And especially a second or, or a third game would be unconscionable. You're headed to the Outback Bowl and you're happy to be in the Outback Bowl. But you're not going to a playoff. Once upon a Saturday, that's the way it was. Well, you got one more year of that. And lastly, in the what if category, what if a team outside the top 10 wins it all? That's what Blake wants to know. By our, by our estimation, the longest shot to ever win the national championship in the playoff era was Ohio State 2014. And that was, it looks like roughly the 13th or 14th best odds in the preseason. That surprises me a little bit, but be that as it may, Every other one of these teams was top 10. Most of them were top five preseason, which is basically to say this rarely happens. Outside the top 10 and the preseason odds, Colin, can you show me the current preseason odds to win the national championship? Okay, so actually freeze on this. So if you're listening on podcast, Colin did one better. He didn't put up the top 10. He put up 11 through 22. So this is the group you would have to choose from. If you are to have this prediction, verify, you would need Notre Dame or Oregon or Utah or Wisconsin, Auburn, A&M. I should have just gone in order. Tennessee is there. Kansas State's there. Ole Miss, Oregon State. You'll need one of them, not to make the playoff, to win the national championship. It certainly, if it happened, would provide fuel to both the expansionist crowd and the non-expansionist crowd. Here's what it would sound like. If Utah goes and wins a national championship, the expansionist crowd would say, see, we always told you one of these underdogs was capable of it. Now in this new world, this will happen more and more. The non-expansionist, me, who will be right if Utah wins the national championship, will say, you're watching the last year where this will ever be possible. Because it is possible for Utah to win the Pac-12, and then they go to the playoff, and they do exactly what TCU did to Michigan last year, only Georgia's not waiting for him. Just a better matchup is waiting for him because it's a small field. 
So who knows what happened in the regular season? No, no three lost teams in the playoff. So there is a needle that they could thread and they could win it. A smaller field, a smaller playoff, actually gives your proverbial underdog a better statistical shot at winning a title. In the future era, Utah will go and have to win one, two, three, maybe four games, at least three games. And it's less likely to happen just because of the law of averages and what talent does in the playoff. And so that's what those respective arguments would sound like. And it would be, it would be bitter and it would be inconclusive at the end of the day. Totally unlike driving by an academy sports and outdoors. I ask, what are you doing driving by academy? Why aren't you driving to academy? I had, well, we actually had some that we showed you on air the other night. I had someone who did not want their, they didn't want their information shared, and I respect that, but they did want to tell me their story. And they told a story of looking really bad because they promised their kid that they could get a certain something at a certain store, and it wasn't there. And then head hung, last resort, they walk into Academy, and not only is that thing there, it's there in like three or four different variations. And the dad really just wanted to tell me at the end of the day, he felt like an idiot, but then also he thanked Academy for saving him. This all happened, by the way. And I didn't get any comment from the kid. I don't think the kid has email yet. So what a lifeline. Academy can throw you, but it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be a last resort. You can just flat out go there uh, ahead of time. Academy.com if you can't get there in person. And why am I so passionate about this? Well, because they make our show free. Because I've, well, I've been a customer there long before we ever did this show. So I know about Academy. We don't really bring sponsors on the show that I don't know about, as you can tell, because we've been rolling with Academy exclusively for a while. But Academy's got all your outdoor sporting goods needs, but they've also got a whole lot more than just traditional sporting goods. So hit them up. Do me a favor and do yourself a favor in the process. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com. <clears throat> We've been doing this thing lately. And if you're watching, by the way, could you do me a favor, like the video and subscribe to the channel? The consultants tell me that never works, but I ask you anyway. Colin, here's your end point. You know, let me take a sip from the chalice first because this could get a little messy. I want to stress to anyone watching, in some cases, these are going to be the viewer's thoughts, not my thoughts. So we've been doing this thing lately where I ask you, what's your opinion on certain head coaches? We did Dabo. We did Jimbo Fisher. I figured let's keep heading west tonight and let's do Lincoln Riley. I asked you on Twitter earlier today, at Late Kick Josh, follow if you're not already. What is your opinion of Lincoln Riley? And then I just left. I just went to the gym. And boy, when I came back, it was waiting for me. I had like 1,500 comments. I did want to get to this one first, though. This is the kind of stuff I come out of the gym to. So I ask, what is your opinion of Lincoln Riley? Now, I know if you're listening on podcast, you're going to think maybe there's more to this story. There's not. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it on your screen. I ask, what is your opinion of Lincoln Riley? Question mark. End of tweet. Or so I thought. Grateful Trojan hits me back and says, you getting scared, Josh? You trying to cook up some negativity towards Lincoln? Like you've said, when SC is rolling, it's unstoppable. You trying to prevent that? Allow me to share my thoughts on Lincoln Riley. I think he's a phenomenal offensive mind. I think he's very good at acquiring talent. Six of his seven classes have 
landed in the top 10 in the combined recruiting rankings. That means portal plus recruiting. He has coached three of the last six Heisman Trophy winners. No one's ever done that before. Notice how negative I am towards Lincoln Riley so far. Grateful Trojan. Ungrateful viewer is what Grateful Trojan is. Something tells me he doesn't watch the show, by the way. Something tells me that was a Twitter special. He's got the third most college football playoff appearances, period. Saban and Dabo. Those are the only ones who have been there more. Of course, there is the downside. There's the glass half empty of what he's done once he's gotten there. But I'm going to get to that in a second. So anyway, I'm, I'm parsing through all the replies. We're still not through all of them. So I got a lot of people who, who were willing to say he's a great offensive mind, don't think he's necessarily arrived as an elite, elite coach because of the defensive issues. That's totally fair. He's also young. He's also very young still as a head coach. But then there was the crowd that said he's overrated. I think we've had this conversation before, but we haven't had it recently. So let's just, let's just talk about this. Because I know a lot of you feel this way about Lincoln Riley. Just off, off the cuff, what do you think about him? Boom. Oh, he's overrated. Okay, well, I humbly disagree, but I, I don't even think this is opinion. I think this is just kind of, it can be factually nailed down. So you say Lincoln Riley's overrated, huh? Well, my first question to anyone who says that to me is always, what is he rated? For him to be overrated, you first need to tell me, what is he rated? Because people come to me and say, oh, he's no Nick Saban. Well, no one's got him rated above Nick Saban. Oh, he's not Kirby Smart. Well, no one has him rated above Kirby. Who is he rated above that is better than him? Because I look at all these lists, and if we were to internalize one, I'd put him in like the five or six position, somewhere like that. We would have him perfectly rated. Uh, from my mind's eye, I would have him perfectly rated. Yeah, but. That's where it goes next. Yeah, but. Go ahead. Continue. One of, the, one of the most valuable weapons you have against people who say Lincoln Riley is overrated is ask him, well, what is he rated? And then once you start seeing they don't really have a logical foundation to stand on, then you say, continue. Just let him talk. Let him dig that grave. And they're going to say something like, yeah, but he hasn't won playoff games. And you just sit there and nod your head. I know. Yeah, but his defenses have not been good. Mm-hmm. Continue. They think that's a gotcha moment. Like they think, well, aren't you going to say something? No, I'm not. I already knew all that about him. Believe it or not, I watched the game too. I know all that about him. I know his defenses have left a lot to be desired. I know that he's gotten either beaten or in some cases humbled and beaten in playoff games. Did you miss the part at the beginning though? Did you miss the part where he's in the playoffs? Did you miss the part where the dude has literally won double-digit games every year he's been a head coach, except for the COVID year, he won nine that year, and they played fewer in the league that he was in. Um, you're warping standards is what you're doing because you don't like him. Most people who are making this argument about him, really in their core, they don't like him, which you're totally free to feel about him. But there are coaches out there I don't like. Lincoln Riley's not necessarily one of them. I got no problem with him. But there are coaches out there I don't like, but at the same time, if you want to be logical and smart about them, you put your own personal emotion to the side and you apply the same standard. You use the same scale. I use the same scale for all of them who have roughly equal resources. So if you coach at Southern Cal or Oklahoma or Georgia or Florida, you're in the top level. You know, you're in the top five or so percent of resources in college football. I'm going to judge you on the same scale. And on that scale, it looks a little something like this. Saban's up there in a league of his own. Smart, rapidly ascending, 
right near the top right now. Dabo Swinney has carved out himself a spot right near the top. Do you start listing those guys just purely in terms of result? And then you get down to a next tier. And in that next tier, you're not going to have perfection. You're going to have plenty of room for someone to not be great, not have great defensive teams, for someone to not have won in the playoff. That's why they're not one, two, or three. That's the whole point. But really what it comes down to in a lot of cases is you're warping the logic because at the end of the day, you really just don't like him. And if you don't like him, just say you don't like him, which leads me to my next point. A ton of you just flat out said you don't like him today. Now, given recent events, I'm not going to read the most popular response in my tweets, but it involved a, a certain hot current issue that's happening about two some odd miles beneath the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, that's as far as I'm going to go there. But you know who you are, and you know what you said, and it won't be repeated here. Most people I have found that have a personal issue with him are Oklahoma fans. This is not a mystery. That is not surprising. I don't blame you guys one bit. It's your program. He bailed on you. He abandoned you. He himself has taken some blame for how he handled it, although I don't think he regrets the decision, period. Maybe just the way the exit was handled. You guys feel however you want to. I'd probably feel the same way if I were you. I could never fault you for feeling the way you do. But outside of Oklahoma circles, what I've noticed or what I have found is there may be some people who don't care for Lincoln Riley. There may be some people who love him. But by and large, I think he gets, I think he gets graded more for his results or lack thereof in you know, big leverage moments, postseason moments, than he does for leaving Oklahoma. Uh, that was a huge story this time last year, obviously. But I, I think it's, it's sunk kind of back into the back of the room for most non-Oklahoma fans. I think Lincoln Riley becomes a victim of what I call the hype cycle in college football. See it all the time. It's happened with him. Here's what that looks like. Hype someone up or hype a team up. And then that team achieves, but they don't achieve quite at the level that you hyped them up to achieve at. And then instead of doing the right thing and blaming yourself because you were the genesis of the hype, you blame the person or the team, or in this case, Lincoln Riley, the coach, who didn't make you look good. So if I were to pick SC to win the national title this year and they flame out in the semifinals, it's their fault. Lincoln Riley choked. No, you made a bad pick. Maybe that's the way it went down. But there aren't very many articles out there that start with, Boy, I was wrong. I was an idiot when it came to Lincoln Riley. It's a lot of Lincoln Riley choked. Lincoln Riley's overrated. Never bothering to mention who rated him in the first place. Also, what I'm learning, the more and more as I go through these replies, is a solid 60 to 65% of college football is about to be really shook whenever his teams finally do figure out defense. I say whenever because I do believe that will happen. I've, I've been on record ever since he was at OU as thinking he'll eventually win a national title. Maybe more than one, but at least one I think is in his future. Um, let me be delicate with this immunity. It's not, a, it's not a foregone conclusion they'll ever get defense figured out, though, is what I want to say. I was talking to a pretty high-profile defensive coordinator recently, and we were talking about several coaches, several programs. Uh, this is not a West Coast guy. It's not someone that you guys will face this year at USC. But... What he said kind of struck me. He said, when you're looking at these places where they're not performing well defensively, 
the mistake college football fans make or media folks make sometimes is you think that the hire of a new coordinator is the solution to the problem. And he said nine times out of 10, you're going to get the same results even when a new coordinator comes in because sometimes it's not a coordinator problem, it's a culture problem. And when you think culture, most of the time you think, oh, guys getting in a lot of trouble, guys getting arrested, 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalties, play after play. It's not always that. Sometimes it's a lot more subtle. There is a certain way that you have to build your organization. There's a certain way you have to go about your business. There's a certain way you have to practice. And there's a certain athlete that you have to recruit to play high-caliber defense. But it all gets embedded in an overall culture. You've got to have a culture that lends itself to you playing high-level defense. This coach I'm talking about is a, is a very, very good defensive coach. He said, I don't know that I could go in there and make any difference right now. Because from where I sit, it looks like Lincoln Riley's overall culture may be the issue. Um, he may be dead right and me be right as well. For all I know, Lincoln Riley has assessed himself and has assessed his program or, or his modus operandi and arrived at the same conclusion. We don't know that. And if I were him, I wouldn't tell you even if I did figure that out. That's the easy part, though, relatively speaking. Figuring out that you may have a little, a little tweak in the culture you need to make or maybe a 30% overhaul in the culture to lend itself to you playing more physical football, being a better tackling team, and ultimately playing better defense. They're not there. They never have been there under him. Will they be there one day? I still believe yes. A lot of you don't believe that. But I, I will tell you, the college football public seems to be ill-equipped for when Lincoln Riley does get defense figured out. They don't have to play top five defense. They have to be opportunistic enough, just good enough, take the ball away like they did last year and also mix in some stops. I don't know, a tackle every now and then would be nice. He's really good. Lincoln Riley's really, really good. He's not the best in the sport. No one's ever said he is. If they say that, he is overrated. But until then, I don't think he's really overrated. All right. Jesse, I think this is as good as time as any. A good a time. A good of time as any. What is correct? It's a good a time as any. Just say it real fast. It doesn't matter. One of the best pieces of advice Mimo ever gave me. When in doubt, just speak faster. Jimbo told me that too. All right, here's a post-it pop. Jimbo and Mimo, what a tag team. So a post-it pop. There you go in the microphone if you can't hear it on podcast. I have to inform you, nay, ask you to do me a favor. And it doesn't have anything to do with our channel. Tomorrow night's a really big night. It's a big night for me. It's a big night for our team. Softball playoffs start tomorrow night. Bradley, the associate. It's also a big night for him for different reasons, our multimedia department. But look, I play better when we have fans in the stands. But our staff here, these are people who are, who are very hard to convince to do anything with us socially. Okay, these are, these are more hermit types, if you will. I respect it because I am too. I get out of here, I like to go home. But, but it's playoff season. Okay, so they should be there supporting us. Well, their hearts aren't quite that big. However, I was able to bribe them. And I, it's something I do very well. And they agreed to it. So I need you to do me one solid and it's going to serve you in the long run anyway. I need you to go to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel and just subscribe to that thing. They're about to hit 100K. Colin, could you show me 1A over here? Whatever camera we call that. You see this thing back here? If you're listening on podcast, I'm, I'm pointing to our bright, shiny, 
solid silver, worth thousands of dollars, solid silver YouTube plaque that they sent us when we hit 100,000 subs. Well, our friends who also reside in this studio when we're not here, they're about to hit 100,000 subs. And they told me point blank. Grishy told me, another employee who shan't be named told me that if I gave him a shout out, if I extended the olive branch to you guys to sub to the channel, they would show up to our softball game tomorrow night. I'm not above it. I'm not too proud to beg for fans to show up. Crowd noise is instrumental in winning playoff softball games. We all know that. That's just a proven fact. So sub to the 24-7 channel and ours. Doesn't have to be in that order, but please do that. They are uh, rapidly growing over there. Nice little outfit. Good for management. Maybe management will go on his show and ask you to sub as well. But if management asks you to sub, if a tree falls in the woods, in other words, and no one's there to hear the tree fall, did it really fall? If you sub because someone asked you to on a show that no one watches, does the sub even count? Whom's just to say? Bold prediction time. Chapter 11 already. What do you believe is going to happen this season? What are you so confident in that you would bet your own money on it? Well, one of you thinks Bama's going undefeated this year. Hmm. How often does this happen? If you're in Phoenix City, if you're in Demopolis, Mobile, Huntsville, how often does Bama go undefeated? Regular season is what I mean. Because this was Jim all the way up in Hayden, Idaho. Bama's going undefeated this season. Well, it happened in 08. Happened in 09. It happened in 2016, 2018, and 2020. They've done it five times in the regular season under Saban. I think this is an eight and a half. I don't think it's likely, although possible. Their over-under is 10 and a half right now. It should be noted it is heavily juiced to the under. So the odds makers or the odds market right now currently leans Bama to win 10 games more than it does for them to win 11 games, much less go undefeated. Will they be favored in every game? Yes, they will. So it's not about that. They will technically be favored to win every game. The problem, as it relates to this prediction, is they, number one, don't have a clue who their quarterback is going to be yet. And number two, all nine of their power five matchups are against teams with win totals of six and a half or higher. So if you were to look at the odds market, all nine of the power five teams they play are expected to be winning record teams. And then mixed within that, you've got your trip that Texas makes into your backyard. You've got back-to-back -back road trips at Mississippi State, at A&M. You got Tennessee, you got LSU, you go to Auburn really late in the year. Who knows what Hugh Freeze has down there by that point. This is an eight and a half for me. Pretty bold, but not the boldest prediction that we've had. Not the boldest prediction we even have on tonight's show. This next one, I think, is even bolder. Only because it's, it's pretty nuanced. Nebraska, according to Daniel, will have the best record among all teams with first-year head coaches. Nebraska. Now, I don't expect you to know what this list is off the top of your head. Don't worry. Producer Jesse has compiled it for you. So, of course, you got Matt Rule at Nebraska. We got Luke Fickle. We got Jeff Brom at Louisville. We got Hugh Freeze at Auburn. Zach Arnett at Mississippi State. You got Satterfield at Cincy. Dillingham's out at Arizona State. Ryan Walters at Purdue. Get used to the name. Brent Key is down at Georgia Tech. You got Dion at Colorado. And Troy Taylor tearing it up in recruiting out at Stanford. There are five teams here. Well, there are four teams, I guess, with win totals higher than Nebraska. Nebraska's is six. Fickle and Wisconsin are all the way up at eight and a half. I don't think this is going to pan out. I don't think Matt Rule is going to have the best year out of any of these guys. So I'm going to call this a 9.25. 
on the boldness scale, only because I just think Wisconsin at least will be better record-wise. Remember, there's that trend of Matt Rule in year one at new programs where it takes a year for him to really get going. There is a thought out there, there is a hope in Lincoln, that with the transfer portal, what used to take two years now may be able to happen instantaneously. We'll have to wait and see on that, but that's pretty bold for me. Next up, uh, this is the boldest prediction of the night, at least. Mike in Coral Springs, Florida. Two Florida Power Five schools will play for their conference title. Well, we only got four of them. So we're talking about Florida State. We're talking about Miami. We're talking about Florida. And we're talking about, welcome to the party, UCF. Big 12 member institution, UCF. This is a 9.5. I think this is incredibly bold. None of these teams are favored to win their conference. Florida State is favored, I guess, to play in the conference title game. They have the second best odds in the ACC. Miami has the fifth best odds in the ACC. Florida, it just gets worse, has the eighth best odds in the SEC. And UCF has the eighth best odds in the Big 12. So if we have two out of these four teams playing for a conference title, who would it be? Obviously, Florida State would be one of them. I think that's obvious. I, I actually think the other most likely candidate in this scenario would be UCF. Because Florida State plays Miami. So they may very well have beaten the Canes en route to playing for the conference title. And Miami's got a really tough road even outside of Florida State. UCF, who knows, man? The Big 12's crazy. Wow, like last, last two years, we've had teams playing for and winning that conference that were middle of the pack in terms of preseason odds. So maybe that just happens again. Who knows? Especially if they get that offensive line figured out. They lost four of them. But if Gus Malzahn gets that figured out, watch out, Big 12. Uh, lastly, this one's from uh, at We Are Recruit. Hmm. There will only be one undefeated team at the end of the regular season. I put an eight and a quarter on the boldness scale here. This has happened one time in the past 10 years that, that we had exactly one undefeated team. And that was 2014. Every other year, we've had at least two. Many years, we've had three or four. In that 2020 season, <coughs> excuse me, in that 2020 COVID season, we had eight because they played less games, so more teams could go undefeated. But how would this happen? Well, maybe we don't have any elite quarterbacks out there. Maybe outside of Caleb Williams, maybe no quarterback really turns out to be elite, and maybe, maybe on that team, Caleb Williams' team, they don't play defense so they don't go undefeated either. And maybe we just have like a 2007 season. But outside of that possibility, someone's going undefeated. We're just talking regular season here. We're not talking conference title games. So I'm putting an eight and a quarter on that one. I love bold predictions. I could do that singular topic for the entire hour or hour and a half of our shows. But that would be irresponsible of me. So we stack the papers and we move on. And I say, uh, thank you. We're not done with the show. Not by a long shot. We've still got like, three more things to talk about. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast let me take a sip of the chalice let's let's do this uh let's do the spotlight next yeah let's do it okay as as if there's not a preordained order We've been doing spotlights on teams. You know, preview magazines are out. I want kind of an audible version of that. I want you to know in about five minutes or less what you would need to know about these teams. Biggest questions, best player, position group, breakout player. What do you need to know about their schedule? So let's talk about Ohio State for a second. And we're going to make our way around the country eventually. But the question that I think is first and foremost on everyone's mind up there is did we just address offensive tackle as much as we needed to? So to give you an idea, Dewan Jones went in the fourth round of the draft. That's one of their tackles last year. Paris Johnson, first rounder. That was another one of their tackles. Obviously, that leaves voids. Uh, they went through spring with three guys that were rotational, and none of them really stood out a whole lot. So they went and got Josh Simmons. He is a San Diego State transfer. I cannot stress enough the importance of him staying healthy and him working out big time. He's got 799 snaps over the last two years at right tackle. He, he has to come through. That's not optional for them, especially with their quarterback situation, them breaking in someone new, no matter who it's going to be. He's got to come through. There are a lot of variables in that team. That's got to be a, a definite guy that comes through for them. Question number two, can their defense actually win them games early? Because I think they may need to. Just think about Ohio State, what you think the profile of that team is. You don't think about defense winning games, but you also don't think about them being as uncertain at tackle and or quarterback in years past as they are right now. That's why it's a complimentary game, guys. Uh, they brought Jim Knowles in. This is his third year as defensive coordinator. Overall improvement last year. They went from 38th in points per game to 24th. That's improvement statistically, but what's the rest of the story? The rest of the story is in their two losses, the Michigan game, the Ohio State game, gave up an average of 43.5 points and 8.9 yards per play. So a, a Buckeye fan would look and say, it really doesn't matter what our stats say if that's what we do in the big moments, which is a fair assumption. That's a fair take. And so 
Front seven is going to be pretty incredible this year, I think. You got JTT. We're going to talk about Jack Sawyer in a second. Got a lot of good players there. Secondary will ultimately tell the tale there. Question number three. You got a quarterback? You got a real QB one? They lie to you sometimes when they say if you got two quarterbacks, you don't have any. But then other times it ends up being exactly the case. So you got Kyle McCord. You got Devin Brown. Doesn't seem like one grabbed the job by the throat at the end of spring. Although Ohio State didn't have to go and get Tyler Buckner. So I guess that's good news. C.J. Stroud, Justin Fields, J.T. Haskins. Those are the last three that came through there. Dwayne, what did I say, J.T.? I'm all the way back at J.T. Barrett. So Dwayne Haskins, those are the last three that came through there. All of them first-round draft picks. Do we have a first-round draft pick on the graphic Colin just showed you? I'm not sure. Do we need to have one for Ohio State to win this year? I'm also not sure of that. But here's the danger. The danger that some fans have gotten into with Ohio State is just assuming you're going to have a certain level of quarterback play. I was listening to Ryan Day talk with McElroy the other day, and he said, you cannot assume that stuff. There's a lot of hard work, a lot of good recruiting and hard work and development that goes into maintaining that standard of play. You don't just get to say, well, if you're starting a quarterback at Ohio State, you're going to be a certain level of good. Are you? That's not an automatic. And you can't assume it's going to be this year. That's why I asked you, can they win games defensively? Same thing with Alabama. You may need to ask that about them this year. Maybe you'll ask it about Georgia. We don't, a lot of these big programs breaking into new quarterbacks, it's not a guarantee that just because of the sticker on the side of the helmet is something that's been impressive for a long time, that there's going to be a certain level of play. It's that way most of the time, because by and large, they recruit better athletes, so they're more likely to play at a high level. It's not a guarantee. Who is, or what is, the best position group on this team? Don't need to waste much time here. It's wide receiver. It's wide receiver by a wide margin. They had two of them transfer out of there that are probably going to end up starting at Iowa and Auburn. They're just loaded. Marvin Harrison, Emeka Egbuka, both of them are 1,000-yard receivers, one of only two teams to have that in the country. Washington is the other one, by the way. Uh, they've got Julian Fleming there. Cornell, Cornell Tate's coming in, true freshman. Brandon Ennis is there. They're loaded, absolutely loaded. So I think we all know wide receiver Ohio State, pretty synonymous at this point. But the breakout player potentially on this team is Jack Sawyer. He was their top overall rated recruit a couple of cycles ago. Everyone's waiting for him to break out. I expect him to break out this year. Now he's played in 26 games, but he hasn't emerged as like a stalwart on that team yet. I think he will. He was the number six overall player in 2021. Sometimes it takes a couple of years for these dudes to really shine through. I think he will this year, and he'll solely, I, I think what they're doing up there with him is just solely working him at defensive end, as opposed to that kind of hybrid position, off, or outside linebacker, defensive end, they've worked him out in the past, but that's a loaded group. It's a good time to be playing the position he plays at Ohio State. Okay, the schedule they play this year, it's very interesting, because you got to dive into it a little bit. Schedule by schedule up there, there's a big difference. For instance, they play three teams within the top 15 of the national championship odds this year. They play at Notre Dame, they play Penn State, and they play at Michigan. So not only do they play three of the top 15, two of the three on the road, they play five teams with win totals of eight or more. And that doesn't include Western Kentucky, who also has a win total of eight or more. They travel to Wisconsin right after the Penn State game. Uh, they've probably got the worst draw. Out of that big three in the East, they probably got the toughest schedule draw 
of any team up there. So it's going to be a tendency of a lot of people to look at that schedule and say, ah, that's soft. That's not a soft schedule. That's know what you're talking about. That's not a soft schedule. It's not a murderer's row. It's not like vintage Arkansas schedules of years past, but no, that's not an easy stretch. Ohio State, man, they are very, very intriguing. So much potential drama surrounding that team this year. We could have had drama. You know where we could have had drama? When we went down to Miami a couple of weeks ago, we could have had drama. I was not worried about access. I was not worried about getting workouts in. I wasn't worried about whether Mario Cristobal would be good to deal with. No, all that was a slam dunk. I was worried about how we were going to get our equipment down there. And then good Greek moving came in, and I didn't have to worry about equipment anymore. Am I thankful? Well, I'm still talking about him two and a half weeks later. Good Greek moving, relocation services. They took care of us. And uh, for for the next couple of shows, at least, I'm going to continue to encourage you to look into them taking care of you. Total relocation services. It sounds so much more fancy than just moving. Relocation services. And having that entire relocation effort insured, that's a wonderful, wonderful concept. And I can personally attest to this because we have used them and we will happily do it again. We're just looking for an excuse at this point to go where we can use good Greek. But you guys have use for them every day. And so hit them up, goodgreek.com. You see it right there on the side of that truck if you're watching on YouTube. Trust, T-R-U-S-T. That's what you got in them. Okay, before we end the show tonight, there is something very important to talk about. As I uh, rub my hands together here. All right, they're hot enough. Let's talk about recruiting. Recruiting is on fire. This is June, lock in. This is the new hot time. This is like what January used to be like. Colin, let's take a look at what the top 10 teams' rankings look like right now because they've been in a wild, wild state of flux. So Georgia's number one right now. Michigan's two. Florida has vaulted all the way up to number three. Florida is rolling. They are on a recruiting heater the last week, the likes of which we have not seen from that program in a long time. I don't know how long we would go back, but in a long time. But there are some names you don't see there that you will end up seeing there. Texas is nowhere near the top 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. Texas is 62nd right now. I'm going to make a bet with you. I think they'll finish top 10. And I think they've got some of their own heat coming in the way of commitments very soon. But in the meantime, just let Uncle Josh tell you here, I think Texas will be okay. I don't think they're freaking out or anything, but maybe if you don't follow recruiting and you're a Texas fan and you see this, you think, what happened? Did the NCAA drop the hammer on us? No, you guys will be fine. Also, Alabama, nowhere to be found. They're at 25 right now. Alabama's got the highest average player grade of any program in the country. Their average commit is rated 94.36. It's just that they've not taken many guys. Obviously, that will change. It's a very, very fine selection process for them at this point. And so they're sitting at actually 27. I think they'll be easily top five when all is said and done. However, Colin, if you could do me a favor and throw that top 10 back up, there are some other programs out there who maybe we never talk about that all of a sudden have just appeared out of nowhere. Do you understand Stanford has a top 10 class right now? Stanford. New coaching staff and everything. Stanford. They landed the number three quarterback in the country in Elijah Brown. We talked to him last week out there. I talked to him a couple of times out there. It was UCLA or Stanford, 
And he goes Stanford, and it was the quote he gave me was it was so commonsensical. But he said you can you can find starting quarterback positions all over the place. You can only find a Stanford degree one place, and he's going there. And um, so they got a good one there. That new coaching staff out there going about things in a in a really aggressive way, as aggressive as you can be at Stanford. So good for them. Now some other programs that we don't normally talk a lot about, but every recruiting cycle has its own story. Mississippi State's hot right now. Mississippi State's really hot right now. Arnett over there, also a new head coach, totally different circumstances, obviously. Number 20 class in the country? Yes. And they just landed a trio of four-star kids from in-state. Most of their players so far are from inside the state of Mississippi. J.J. Harrell's a receiver, committed. Mississippi State. Uh, Braylon Burnside, wide receiver, committed. Mississippi State. P.J. Woodland, corner, committed. Mississippi State, good on that staff, really good on that staff. Also, Texas Tech is on a roll. Texas Tech under Joey McGuire, uh, taking a really unique approach in recruiting. Get this, they're just being honest and upfront, but also not trying to pressure anyone. If you want to come here, that's cool. If you don't, that's cool as well. But do you want to come here? Uh, That's working. What a radical concept. Just being upfront and honest with folks. If, if it works, I think it may be applied more broadly. We'll see. Five-star wide receiver Micah Hudson. I want you to pay attention to that name because he has been crystal balled to Texas Tech. It looks like they're going to land him, and they're already ranked fairly highly without him. So if they, if they do land him, it's going to be a really big deal. Keep an eye on him. Six foot, 190 pounds from Temple, Texas. This could be a situation where Texas Tech just flats out beats Texas for a recruit that everyone wants. So keep an eye on that. Also, you'll notice Tennessee was at number 10. Uh, keep an eye on them because they got a big visit weekend coming up. A lot of folks have big visit weekends happening right now. This is visit season. But I was looking at Steve Wolfong's crystal ball activity. And uh, Wolfong has crystal balled a couple of four-star receivers to them for next week. Those commitments are happening next week. So Tennessee's number 10 in the country right now and could be rising this upcoming week. Wolfong, I got two things out of him today. First thing he did was call me to let me know that he thinks anytime there is a day Major League Baseball game, it's Braves versus Phillies. That's a theory of his. And the other thing we got out of him is a couple of crystal balls for Tennessee landing four-star receivers. Make of both of those bits of information what you will. Jam-packed show again tonight. I mean, when's the last time we went under an hour? I don't know. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the channel and get 10 of your friends to do the same because we badly, badly want to hit 200K by kickoff or earlier. You don't have to take that long if you don't want to. We got to get in bed. Busy, busy playoff day tomorrow. So thank you so much for watching and listening. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, for Bradley the Associate, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your night and God bless.